Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. Awesome. Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Would you open them up to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, grab one of the hardback black Bibles from under your chair. And if you're using one of those, you'll be on page 1008. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. And as we did, I told you that they were directly connected to chapter 11. Chapter 11 recounts the faith of all these men and women of God who have come before us, who have lived out their faith in radical ways. It's the big faith chapter of the Bible. So as we came to chapter 12, I told you that in essence, our author was telling us that all of these people who have come before us, they they have set a model for us, they've set an example for us, but now it's our turn. All of these people have lived by faith, but now the baton has been passed to us. It's our turn. What we saw was that we've been called to live out an active faith. And and to help us remember how to do that, I gave you guys an active faith EP, an emergency procedure. Do any of y'all remember that? Like one person. Okay, so here's the test. (laughs) Here's the test. It was three words. What was it? Y'all remember? Laura knows because she's got the screen. Throw it up there. Throw it up there. Okay, drop run, look, right? We're going to drop every weight and sin. We're going to run with endurance the race that's set before us, and we're going to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Drop, run, look. If we're going to have have an active faith, then we need to do that. And and it's our turn to live out that active faith now, and and to do that, we're going to drop, we're going to run, we're going to look. Got it? Okay. All of that sounds great. Am I right? It's so much fun to sit in here on a Sunday morning and talk about how we're going to live out our faith and we're going to do these big things. It's, it's fun to talk about all of these people who've come before us, who've modeled it for us, and to think that we get to walk in their footsteps. These people whose faith was so great, it led them to do things so big that here we are 2,000 years later and we're talking about them. But when it comes time for us to actually do it, things get hard. When it comes time to actually move, sometimes it hurts. When it comes time to live out our faith, everything gets messy. When we go from talking to acting, reality comes crashing in around us and, and we begin to question the certainties that our faith seemed to be giving us. But that shouldn't stop us from moving forward. That shouldn't stop us from living out our faith. So, What we need to do in moments where that happens is just pause for a minute and recalibrate. We we just pause and look at what Scripture is telling us. You see, yes, it's our turn to live out our faith, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We're going to have to work at it. We're going to have to grow, and, and sometimes that growth is going to be difficult. So as our author continues here in Hebrews chapter 12, he's going to help us to see that many of the difficulties we encounter are meant to help us. So let's dive in. Hebrews chapter 12, I think I said three a second ago. We're going to start at verse three. We're going to take it to to verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we dive into this hard text today, I ask that you would speak to us. So often we encounter things in our lives and and we don't understand what's going on. This idea of living out our active faith, it it seems great until we actually do it and it gets really, really hard and and really painful at times and, and we don't know what's going on. And God, today I ask that you would speak to us and you would help us to see exactly what's happening. God, help us to hear your word today, that we would be able to grow and go, that you would help us to be more like your son, to receive this discipline of the Lord that we're going to be spending so much time talking about today, and receive it knowing that it's because you love us, and that you want us to be more like Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Well, I looked at my calendar the other day and I realized that here we are, it's May. I have no idea how we got this far so fast in the year. Like it's May, summer is, is right around the corner. It was super humid like two days ago. It's, it's here, right? We are almost on the verge of summer. And I don't know about y'all, but some of my favorite memories growing up from my childhood are of summer and the summer camps that I used to attend. And as best I can remember, I attended camp, I think, at least once, sometimes twice, every single summer. I think my parents were just trying to get rid of me, but it was good for me. And one of the camps I attended on a fairly regular basis was Camp Cedar Springs out in Washington State. Cedar Springs was your typical Christian summer camp, um, and, and I remember going there each summer to that camp and, and always coming home like totally on fire for Jesus. Anybody ever experienced that? Like you go to Christian camp, you, you, you're there, you're on fire for Jesus when you get home, right? And I also remember that I'd, I'd start school, and within the first two or three weeks of the school year, that huge flame of a fire had completely fizzled out. 
you see, I was in public school, and, and there's nothing wrong with attending public school. In fact, in many ways, it's a good thing, but the simple fact of the matter was there weren't a whole lot of Christians there around me. And, and being a Christian was, was sometimes hard. So living out my faith got hard. I, I would begin to grow weary. Eventually, my faith would start to take a back seat. My, my faith would become something private. My faith would be something that I kept to myself. And before I knew it, that active faith that I had had become completely inactive. But as we've seen over the last few weeks, we are called to have an active faith. It's a faith that moves. And I think that we can just look around at the world around us and say, hey, if we're going to have that, it's going to be hard at times. And if that's true, then I think we can also acknowledge that there's a chance that if we're not careful, we may become a little bit weary we might grow faint-hearted, which is why I love this text we're looking at today, because it's going to show us how we move forward out of that. As we began chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2, we saw that it's our turn, right? We saw it's our turn to live at our faith, and we do that by dropping every weight and sin which holds us back, by running with endurance the race that's been set before us by God to run, And by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, but then life happens and things get hard. And and what do we do from there? So starting at verse three, our author tells us, he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I need to stop right there because This is telling us that if we're going to endure in our faith, we need to look at Jesus and consider what Jesus did. But that word consider doesn't mean what we think it means. For us, it means to think about something, right? But but the Greek there, in in the Greek, that word that's translated consider, it's a mathematical term. It means to sum up, to to calculate something. And so what we're being told to do here is to take into account everything that Jesus went through. All of the rejection, all of the ridicule, all of the torture on the cross. We add it all up. Everything that Jesus endured faithfully. And we focus our attention on that. We focus on how Jesus endured all of that so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The idea here is that when we're tempted to grow weary, when we're tempted to lose heart, we look at Jesus. And that's going to help us as we run this race. But as we continue into verse 4, I want you to see that while our author is urging us to focus on Jesus, to look at Jesus, he's also going to turn our attention to our own situation to help us better understand where we're at. Take a look. He writes, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And as we look at that, the first thing we need to deal with is those words there, that that phrase, your struggle against sin. Because if you are like most people, you read that and you insert an extra your into that sentence. You read that as your struggle against your sin. But we need to keep in mind the whole context here. This isn't talking about your personal struggle to put your sin to death. 
Consider the context. Back in chapter 11, we read about the faithful men and women of God who had been tortured, mocked, imprisoned, killed with the sword, stoned, sawn in two, and then we're told it's our turn to be faithful. As we come into chapter 12, at verse 3, we're told to consider how Jesus endured as others sinned against him. And now our author is talking directly to his readers. So what I need you to see is that this is talking about the sin of other people. This is you struggling with, you suffering because the sins of other people that have been committed against you. Our author is saying, listen, I know it's hard. I know that you've been struggling because people have been persecuting you. You've been suffering. I, I get that, but you haven't suffered to the point of shedding your blood yet. You haven't suffered as much as Jesus suffered. And, and if he stopped right there, that would be really hard to hear. Because basically what he'd be saying to us is, hey, stop whining. You don't know how good you have it. You haven't even had to bleed yet. But he doesn't stop right there. He keeps going. But the problem is says next actually is harder. Our author doesn't stop. He keeps on going. He's going to tell us something here that's going to be really hard for us because it flies in the face of modern Western Christian thought. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, if we take that out of context, that does not seem that difficult to hear. But when we tie those two verses, which are coming right out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, which Katie read a few minutes ago for us, if we take those verses and we tie them into what we've seen before, back into those previous verses, in essence, what our author is saying is that one of the reasons his readers are growing weary and faint-hearted is that they have forgotten that they are being treated by God as his sons. And that means that he disciplines them. He trains them up to live in righteousness. And these two verses make what we've been reading a lot harder to hear when we recognize that. Because what he's saying there is that the sinful acts of men and women against believers, ultimately, that's God at work. And that's hard. Because we don't like to think about the idea that God might cause us pain. That God might cause us to suffer. But scripture is telling us that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And I want you to let that soak in for a minute. I want that to kind of rock how you think about pain and suffering that you go through in your life. You see, in our Western assumptions, in our, our way of thinking about things, it, it tends us to lead us to see suffering as a bad thing. We assume that if we're suffering, it's because God is mad at us. We assume that God has punished us. We assume that any suffering that may come our way in life is a result of God's anger, his wrath toward us. But what scripture is showing us right here is that when believers suffer, when they encounter persecution, it is a result of God's love for us. 
in all this pain and suffering that we encounter in life, God is disciplining us. He's pruning us. He's correcting us. He's shaping us. He's training us to grow more into the image of his son. You see, God is sovereign in and through and over our suffering. And I love how John Piper explained this text right here when he was writing about it. He, because, because what he said is that this isn't a picture of God watching from the sidelines while sinners hurt his people. Nor is it God sitting back and letting Satan ravage and attack us and only then stepping in and turning all of this evil against us for our good. Piper explained that that's not at all what this text is saying. Take a look, it's up here on the screen. It's a long quote, but, but let this sink in. He put it this way. He said, this text says that God is disciplining us. He is teaching us and correcting us and transforming us. In other words, God has a purpose and a design in what's happening to us. God is the ultimate doer here. God is not a passive observer in our lives while sinners and Satan beat us up. He rules over sinners and Satan. And they unwittingly and with no less fault or guilt fulfill his wise and loving purposes of discipline in our lives. And so what our author is working to do here as he's writing to these believers, he's working to help them to see where they're actually at. Yes, you're encountering struggles and difficulties. Yes, you're suffering, but your suffering isn't because God has abandoned you. Your suffering is because God loves you. Somebody in this room needs to hear that right now. The pain that you're going through in your life is not a result of God's anger or wrath toward you. It is a result of his love for you as he's trying to grow you more into the image of Jesus. And as we continue in our text, our, our author is going to make that very clear. So look at verse 7. He says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Now, I know that endures at the end of that first sentence in the first half of verse 7, but what I need you to understand is that that word could be the whole sentence all by itself. That's the whole point of that sentence. He's saying, endure! Endure! God is treating you as sons, so endure! This is the consistent and recurring theme that we've been seeing all throughout the book of Hebrews. We're called to have an enduring faith. We were just told to run with endurance the race that is set before us. And now he's telling us to endure because we're being treated as God's sons. And to help us see that, he, he continues in the second half of verse 7 and then into verse 8. He says, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And I need you to listen to me here. One of, one of the most loving things that a mother or a father can do for their children is to discipline them. Now, that idea, that concept is, goes a little sideways in, in our culture. It doesn't make sense in our culture because when we think about that, we have somehow got it into our heads that it's more important for us to be our kid's friend than to be their parent. And the result is always bad. Like, that's not the biblical idea. 
It's not in the best interest of our children. We want them to grow up to be mature, responsible, productive adults. And so we set boundaries for them. We teach them. We train them up. We shape them. And when necessary, we correct them. It's an act of love to discipline your kids. I I tell my daughters all the time, I say, I love you too much to let you grow up to be a terrible human being. And so I'm going to need to punish you here. I don't, I don't take pleasure in that, but it's an act of love. And it's the same thing with God. He loves us, and so he disciplines us. And our author points us to our own experiences in life to help us see that. So look at verses 9 and 10. He says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Now, when I was growing up as a child, I knew who loved me. I knew what adults were important in my life by who was allowed to spank me. And there were a lot of people that were allowed to spank me. Not everybody, and I needed it. I deserved it. But, but I knew who loved me, who cared for me, by who was willing to correct me and discipline me and shape me to become a mature, responsible adult. I knew that I was loved because there were people in my life who wanted what was best for me. But at the same time, I know that my experience is not universal. I recognize that for some in this room, this analogy can be difficult to follow. Because I know that there are some in this room today whose earthly fathers didn't fit this description right here. There are some here in this room today whose fathers were abusive, who who went beyond discipline and abused you. And that was sinful and wrong. At the same time, there's some people in this room whose fathers were just completely absent. And that was just as sinful and just as wrong. And so so I understand that this analogy might be a little difficult for some to follow. But what our author is is doing here is he's pointing to the biblical model, model of fatherhood. He's trying to help us see that if our earthly fathers who who fall into that biblical model, fathers who, in spite of all of that, are still sinful, who are still broken, who are still imperfect, if, if they could love us, if they could discipline us as best as they can, imperfect though it may be, if they could raise us up to maturity, to become stable, productive adults. And we can look back and and we can respect them for what they did. If that's the case, how much more ought we to want our heavenly, perfect Father? God, the Father who is without sin, how much more ought we to want Him to discipline us so that we can share His holiness? You see, he's working to shape us into the image of his son, which means that sometimes he's going to have to prune us. Sometimes he's going to have to cut us back. Sometimes he's going to have to help us to grow in purity, in holiness, in righteousness. And he does that by disciplining us. And here's the thing. Discipline, it's not fun. Like nobody, when they're getting a spanking as a kid, turns around and says, hey, can I get another one, please? Nobody does that. It's not fun. It's painful. It hurts, but it's worth it. 
That's what our author is trying to show us here in verse 11. Take a look. He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The purpose of discipline is to train us. The purpose of discipline is to help us to become more like Christ. But I think a lot of us have bought into the lie that when you become a Christian, life is supposed to get easy. That we don't have any problems anymore. That we don't have any trials anymore. That we don't have to suffer anymore. And when we buy into that lie and, and suffering or trials or difficulties come along, we start to wonder what's going on. Why is God mad at me? What have I done to deserve this? That lie teaches us that if anything in our life isn't going the way we want it to go, then obviously God doesn't love us or he's angry with us or he's disappointed in us or he's frustrated with us, which then obviously means that God is punishing us. And when that happens, our response, if we don't just give up completely, is trying to run back and earn God's love. We try to run back and be good enough on our own. We try to run back to trying to be better on our own. We run back to trying to do it all on our own. In essence, what we're doing when we do that is we're running back into the tabernacle. We're running back into the temple. We're running back to the sacrificial system. And the whole problem with that is that Jesus has done away with all of that. We don't need to earn God's love. He's already loves us. He sent his son to die for us. So the pain and suffering that we may be going through right now, it's not God's wrath. It's not his anger. It's his love for you as he's working to shape you more into the image of his son. You see, verse 11, it's exposing that lie. It's showing us that sometimes our pain is leading us into greater holiness. Sometimes we need those trials to help us grow. We need that suffering to help us mature. That's what a verse 11 is telling us. Have you ever thought through something or gone through something and, and after it was over, looked back and thought, man, look at, look at what God was doing there. Look how he was growing me. It hurt at the time. For us as a church, I, I think back to last fall when, Hurricane Sally came through. I remember that Sunday right after the hurricane. We gathered here. This was like the only place in the area that seemed to have electricity. And so we gathered together. I didn't have a sermon prepared. I, I read a psalm and I made a few comments about the psalm. And, and I, I remember saying, man, this sucks. Man, this hurts right now. But look how faithful God has been through this storm to us. It was this, this moment that was raw and painful and, and just honest. But now I look back and I think about that storm and I think about what we went through with so much more time between now and then and, and I see how God was, was disciplining us as a church. He was working on us as a church. He used that pain and that suffering that we were going through to help push us outside of these walls to push us out into the community, to have an impact in this community. 
God used that storm, that suffering that we went through to help us mature. And if I could go back in time and somehow had the power to turn that storm and make it not hit Alberta, Alabama, I wouldn't do it, not for one second, because God used that painful time to help us as a church grow. And he does the same thing in our lives. Suffering isn't God's wrath. It's his love. Listen, we ought to be grateful when suffering comes into our lives, when hard things come into our lives, when trials come into our lives, because that's God's loving hand helping, to, helping us to grow. God presses on us in order to grow our faith. And yes, it hurts at times, but it's growing us up. It's maturing us. So when hard things come, we're, we're not supposed to grow weary and tired. We're supposed to dig deeper into God, grow deeper into God, more into him, to know him better, to trust him more. That's what this text is showing us. But if that's where it's showing, what it's showing us, my question is, where does that leave us? We might be able to understand now where we're at and we can even understand what's going on around us. We can understand why we're going through whatever it is we're going through. But, but we've been told not to grow weary as we run this race of faith. We've been told to endure. So how do we do that? Take a look at verses 12 through 17. Therefore, since all of this is true, since God is disciplining us because he loves us and he's working to train us up in righteousness, since all of this is true, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I've had the super unpleasant experience of having my right shoulder dislocated about a dozen or more times in my lifetime. And because of that, I've had surgery to repair my shoulder twice. And what happens when I have that surgery is the doctor, he goes in and he, he cuts a small incision in my shoulder and then he goes in with a scope and he ties up all the ligaments and stuff in the joint. I don't know all the medical terms, but he ties it all back together, anchors it into the shoulder bones there. And then after they wake me up at the, at the hospital, they put a sling on me, they give me some pain medication and they send me home. And the last time I had this surgery, my, my doctor told me that, that the day after the surgery, I had to take that sling off and start doing some exercises. They're called pendulum swings. You literally just go like this. You just swing your shoulder. The day after the surgery. And those exercises, they hurt. They hurt, but they were necessary. You see, my doctor had cut me. He had intentionally caused me pain in order to heal me. And that caused pain. But if I just stayed immobile, if I didn't start moving my shoulder, that pain would get even worse. And that shoulder would eventually become useless to me. So I had to start moving it right away, the day after surgery. And it's the same thing with us as the Lord disciplines us. We have to start moving. When we encounter suffering because the Lord is disciplining us, these verses are showing us what we do with that suffering. They're showing us how we react, knowing that that discipline is coming from a place of love, knowing that he's doing it to help us grow. 
So what we do, what this is telling us is that when the Lord disciplines us, we get up and we start walking again. We get up and we start living out our faith again, following Christ again. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, squarely just looking at Jesus. We look at him and strive to move forward. We walk in faith with our eyes locked on Jesus and we continue the mission. And as we do that, our author here in the text, he's going to give us some, some safeguards. And these safeguards will help us as we move forward through the discipline of the Lord. So look again at verses 14 through 17. He writes, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward... When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he thought, sought it with tears. Now, I know that that set of commands seems a little bit strange after we've been talking about the discipline of the Lord. But I want you to remember the way that that discipline was coming to our author's original readers of this letter. It was coming via the sin of other people. It was coming via persecution. And what our author is telling us is that our response to those people, even as they're actively persecuting us, should be peace. It should be lives that are marked by holiness. That's what this is showing us here. And that response is for our good. Because the two alternatives to that, they lead us into sin. So he gives us these positive commands. Strive for peace. Strive for holiness. And then he gives us the warnings. Verse 15, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, how, how might we fail to obtain the grace of God? by not receiving the discipline of the Lord, but ignoring it or taking it lightly, not taking it for what it is. Remember the command we saw back in verse five, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And that begs the question, how would we regard lightly the discipline of the Lord? These verses here, verses 14 through 17, they're showing us at least two ways. First, is that we let bitterness set in and take root. Now, most scholars will, will agree that the way that this is being worded here in the text, it's, it's pointing back to Deuteronomy 29, 18. There, Moses had warned Israel about the, the dangers of falling into to idolatry and, and idol worship, becoming uh, a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. You see, bitterness is like poison to the Christian. Becoming bitter, it's poisonous. And in moments where God is disciplining us, it manifests itself most often in attitudes of selfishness and pride. We'll say things like, I don't deserve this. Or, I can't believe this is happening to me. Or, if I were God, I would never do that to you. 
And as those attitudes grow and multiply, that bitterness spreads. And you become bitter toward other people. And then ultimately, you become bitter toward God himself. The same God who loves you so deeply that he's willing to cut you. He's willing to prune you. He's willing to hurt you in order that he could bless you. He allows you to suffer so that you can grow to become more like his son, so that you might know him more fully. And and that bitterness, it, it pulls you away from God, the God who loves you far more than you can possibly fathom. That's the first way that you can take lightly the discipline of the Lord is letting that bitterness take root and spread. The second way that you can take the discipline of the Lord lightly is to allow the sorrow and the pain and the trials that come with discipline to become a justification to live sinfully. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. Our author tells us to see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, y'all remember Esau, right? He was Jacob's twin brother. He was Isaac's firstborn son. He was heir to the covenant promise between God and Abraham that God would bless the entire earth through him. But one day Esau came home from the hunt and he was hungry. He was exhausted and he comes into the tent and there's Jacob and he's making him some, or he's making some stew for himself. And, and he says, hey, give me some stew. And Jacob says, not unless you sell me your birthright. And in that moment, Esau gave up the promises of God in order to satisfy his stomach. He traded everything that God was going to do in and through him to take away his hunger pains. He sinned. All because his flesh, his stomach was hurting. All because he was hungry. And we do the same thing too. All the time. We're hurting. So we lash out and we say, hey, I I had a bad day. We're stressed and so we cope with food or alcohol or drugs or, or name it. And we say, hey, I'm just trying to take the edge off. Our marriages are a mess, so we turn to pornography or another man or another woman. And we'll say things like, he or or she wasn't meeting my needs. We use the pain and difficulties we're going through to justify our sin instead of recognizing that God put them there. All of that pain and suffering, he put it there to help grow us to be more like his son to mature us, to draw us closer to him. We take what God was using for our good and we use it as an excuse for evil. And when we do that, we're taking lightly the discipline of the Lord and the end result always, without fail, is more pain and more suffering, more tears. So go back to the warning. My son, do not regard lightly 
the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. That's the key to this whole thing right there. God disciplines us because he loves us. That's how we grow. I, th- I think back to that fall after summer camp. I'd come home on fire for Jesus only to flame out two or three weeks later as the school year got started. And what happened in those, those moments wasn't that I stopped loving Jesus. It's that I grew weary. I grew faint-hearted. You see, God was lovingly and gently disciplining me to help me grow. He disciplined me with peer pressure. He disciplined me with a little bit of mockery. It was nothing big. It was, you know, your standard high school stuff, but he was disciplining me to help me grow. He was working to help me see that my identity wasn't in the friends that were around me, but in him. He disciplined me to help me see that what I needed wasn't more and cooler friends. I needed more of him, and he was working to help me see that, but I grew weary, and I stopped growing. I think a lot of us get that way. Living out our faith, it's going to be hard sometimes. And there are going to be times where God disciplines us to help us grow, to help us mature, to be more like his son. And when those times come, what we need to do is remember why we're there. God's not mad at us. He's not disappointed in us. He's not angry at us. He's training us up to be more like his son. He loves us. And so he's disciplining us. That's how we grow. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.